Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. So let's pray for all of us and for those who will catch up and listen online. Father, this is important stuff that we address tonight and next Sunday night, God willing. Help us to get our heads around the reality of war. Help us to be vigilant. But most of all, Lord, we pray that we would be confident Vigilance without confidence is half of the Christian life. Confidence without vigilance is half of the Christian life. Some of us will need vigilance. Some of us will need confidence. Most of us will need both. So answer these prayers we ask tonight for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, the last two weeks in Ephesians, tonight and next Sunday night, Chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, over two weeks. Tonight, simply verses 10 to 13. God willing, next Sunday, 14 to 20, with a brief comment on 21 to 24. Now, the headings on the back, as I said, will help, or not on the back, on the insert. Finally, finally, is how Paul begins chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. It is not finally... It is not finally in the sense of here is something I've remembered I'd like to add. It's not finally on here are my thoughts on spiritual warfare. Nor is it finally in the sense that we are at the end of the letter. We're not. There's half a chapter to go. And if anything, verses 10 to 20 are the most densely packed verses in the letter. It's not finally in either of these senses, it is rather finally in the sense of in light of everything I have said in this letter, you've got to understand this. This stuff is a big deal. This stuff really matters. It is no afterthought or no P.S. Now there are two applications or perhaps we might better call them responses the Apostle Paul has in mind writing to us about spiritual warfare at the end of his letter. 
to responses from the original recipients, the church in Ephesus, and from us as a church studying this letter in the 21st century. And these responses are one, be vigilant, and two, be confident. Vigilance and confidence are what God, through our minds and hearts, into our wills, is looking for. Not vigilance or confidence, but both. But that said, as I prayed, some of us will need a dose of vigilance. Some of us will need a dose of confidence. Some of us will need a dose of both. But no one has any reason to doze off. Or miss this Sunday. First then, be vigilant. Let's read 10 to 12 again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As a church, and remember the application of this letter is primarily corporate to us as a local church rather than us as individuals. As a church, we are at war with the devil and the spiritual forces of evil. And Paul describes what we are up against in graphic terms the devil, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over the present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is normal. It is normal church. It is not readiness for war. It is at war. And it's not a cold war, nor a political war. It is not a war from which we are disengaged. It is not a war that we watch from a distance or a place of safety. We are right there in the thick of it on the battlefield. What is it like to fight? Paul describes it as wrestling, hand-to-hand combat, engagement. It is out of the trenches, over the top, onto the battlefield language. It's not a game. It is war. Now let's pause for just a minute. The devil is just as real as God is real. The devil is referred to in the Bible in various ways. Satan, the enemy, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, or the god of this world. We are told in Genesis that the devil is an angel who rebelled against God. The first thing the Lord Jesus did in his earthly ministry after he was baptized was take the offensive, as it were, to the adversary of God, the devil, in the wilderness. Moreover, the devil does not act alone. There are with him rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. They are all, in Ephesians, plural. The devil has an army. Now, let's look at where else in the letter Paul speaks in these terms. There are two sections I'd like us to flick back and read. The first is chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Turn there with me. 
Paul is describing who we were before we became Christians and who we now are as Christians and how we became Christians. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And you were dead. Just, that's just so powerful, isn't it? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following who did you follow? The prince of the power of the air, that is the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. We once belonged to the kingdom of this world, following the prince of this world, the devil. We were dead. God has made us alive with Christ. We now belong to the kingdom of God, following Jesus. And our destiny is in the world to come, the coming ages, the new creation, where all things will be united in Christ. That is our destiny, the perfect unity of a new creation, a perfect ordered world without sin and without sickness, without war, without spiritual warfare, without death, a place where the devil and his angels are absent, banished forever into the eternal darkness of hell where all who reject Jesus will spend eternity. So will you heed that warning? Here's Jesus in Matthew. He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. If you are not sure where you are going to spend eternity, you need to make sure. You need to sort it out. We will be on the left or the right. Jesus will say, if we are not believers on judgment day, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Don't spend eternity in the eternal fire of hell. By rejecting Jesus, you choose to go there. So come to him. All he asks of you is faith. We once belonged as Christians to that kingdom. We once had an eternal 
destiny to be in hell with the devil and his angels. We were dead. God has made us alive. We now belong to the kingdom of God. Our destiny is the world to come, the coming ages in the new creation where all things will be united in Christ. That's our destiny. That's your destiny as you sit here, and that riles the devil. It riles him that God has saved us. Now, all this talk of the world to come, what are the present? What are the here and now in this world? After all, we are still living as Christians in this fallen world. We might be Christ's. We might be citizens of the everlasting kingdom with a future in the new creation. But for now, we are living in the realm of this world where the prince of this world, the devil, still has his reign. What are the present? Well, the second passage I want us to read is chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. Just a few verses. Turn there. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And you know this verse from our studies in Ephesians, the key verse, so that through the church, local living churches, local churches, not the universal church, through living local churches, the multifaceted or manifold wisdom of God might be made known now to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through this church, through Chalmers Church, or the church you are in as your home church. Through churches like this, the multifaceted wisdom of God is now in this age, in this world, in this city, in this community revealed. A gospel alive local church is a light shining in a dark world that reveals more than anywhere else in that world the power and the wisdom of God so that people see in the dynamic of a living church what God does in people's lives, how attractive it is, and they see Jesus and they hear of Him. They hear His message of forgiveness and life and hope and glory. And who is that revelation for? Who is the living local church called Chalmers a statement to? Yes, it's a light in this community. Redeemer will be a light in its community, a light to the city. But what's Paul's focus here? Who does he say a living gospel church reveals the wisdom of God to? He says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And we know who they are, chapter 6 and 12. The devil. The cosmic powers. The rulers and authorities. A living local church reveals the wisdom and power of God to the devil and his allies. The very existence of a living local church, where there is a unity that is found nowhere else on earth, 
where there is a foretaste of the perfect unity of the new creation, that riles the devil. It riles him that God has converted you, that God has brought you from death to life and put eternity in your hearts. And it riles him when you go and find a living local church and join it. And together you become a corporate entity called the church and you shine in a community and you look like nothing else in the earth and you are a foretaste of eternity for there is unity and it riles him and he will do everything he can to bring it down. Back in chapter 3 that we just read, the heart of the letter, Paul's focus is on the rulers and authorities alerting us to be vigilant, vigilant back in chapter 3, a point that he saves for the end of his letter, chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Now, I hope you have been convinced, not by me, but by God's words, that a living local church is our main, if not the main, focus for the devil's attack. We always think individually. A local living church is one of the main focus points for the devil's attack. What does it mean practically? Well, let me show you in Ephesians quickly. What does it mean practically for the devil to attack Chalmers? Chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, what is all that about? The unity of the local church. Paul exhorts us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The devil is eager to undermine, disrupt, break this unity. For when there is unity in a local church, it reveals God's wisdom and his power to unite. Where there is unity in a local church, it does evangelism and mission. Where there is disunity, it does not reveal God's wisdom to the world. Where there is disunity, that church turns in on itself. A disunited church is not going to plant a new gospel church, is it? It's just not going to do it. How does the devil sow seeds of disunity? Well, if humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love is how we maintain unity, then the devil will do his best to exploit that bit of my and your fallen nature that remains to what? Pride, harshness, impatience, intolerance. The devil will poke you and he'll poke me and goad you and he'll goad me to bring out these parts of our fallen nature that remain. He will tempt us in these areas. And that is what Paul means by the flaming darts of the evil one. His darts cover a multitude of things. But he has darts in his armory labeled temptation to pride, harshness, impatience, intolerance. All these darts have these names on them and some of these darts have our names on them because the devil knows. He attacks our unity. Chapter 4, verses 7 to 12 is about growing into maturity as a church where right through that church people speak the truth in love to one another. The devil will do his best to keep a church in childhood or adolescence. How will he do that? He will stop people in that church from speaking the truth in love to one another. How? I counted this morning how many questions and conversations were about the weather. And God has sent a beautiful sunny day just to prove the point. 
20? 20. If I can get him to speak truth without love, that'll help. If I can persuade her to speak in love without truth, that will help. If I can persuade them to speak about the weather after church, that'll help. I'm not saying that these conversations are wrong and they didn't lead to proper spiritual things. But heaven help us if the topic of our conversation after a Sunday morning is the weather, when there is chaos going on everywhere. Or if I can persuade them not to... If I could persuade them to make excuses not to go to their small group, don't mishear me. Excuses are different from reasons. Reasons like I'm too busy because of my job are reasons, not excuses. If I can persuade them to make excuses not to go to their small groups, that will help because if they don't go, they can't speak the truth in love. They won't get mature. Or chapter 4, verses 17 to 32, putting off the old self, putting on the new putting on the stuff that belongs to our old self, putting on the new, that old jumper that I still uh, like to wear. I had some joke in here about what happens when you get married, but I took it out because it's far too risky. Let me go straight for the jugular. That area of sin I know is wrong, and I just won't, and I can't, and I won't, and I can't give it up. Every night, every day, the devil tempts me, and I give in. How did Paul express that feeling in Romans? Wretched man that I am. Don't we understand what it is to use the language of Ephesians to wrestle against the rulers, authorities, and the spiritual forces of darkness? The devil whispers in my ear his inductive charm. Come on. There's nothing wrong with wearing that old jumper. Do you know you should be taking it off and putting on a new one every day, every night, week in, week out, every month, year in, year out, for years? The devil has got you exactly where he wants you, and you might feel wretched, but you keep going back. Where is Paul going to get to tonight? You don't need to keep going back. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 21, walking, living, and self-sacrificing love, walking as children of light, walking wisely. The devil is out to trip us up, to put filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking in our mouths, or in our minds, because we watch or listen to it. Sexual immorality or impurity. There's sexual immorality or impurity again. Why does that subject, that area of life, come up again and again and again in the New Testament, time and again? It seems that every letter in the New Testament is on that stuff. Why? Because there must be people in every local living church who are struggling with pornography or all manner of sexual immorality. There must be, if God inspires this in his words. And he's saying you don't need to. Am I exaggerating? <laughs> Is Paul exaggerating? Is Jesus who inspired Paul to write exaggerating? If your answer to that question is yes, then it might well be that the person who is whispering yes in your ear is, well, not God. And then all the practical stuff from chapter 5, 22 through to 6, 9, marriages, families, work. 
That's the stuff Paul puts in his letter up against the closing section on spirit. Where am I going to put the stuff on marriages, families, and work? I'm going to save that and put it slap back up against the stuff on spiritual warfare. For where is the devil going to go and attack in a church like Chalmers? He would love, just love, to take down marriages in a church, a minister or an elder's marriage, perhaps the primary target for the devil. And there are people in our church family who have suffered grievously in this way because the person they were married to deserted them, succumbing to the devil's temptation. The devil might not take down a marriage, but he might well have a go at disrupting the divinely ordered pattern in a marriage. If he can persuade the married men in the church not to love their wives as Christ loved the church, if he can persuade half the married women in the church not to submit to their husbands as in the Lord, then the sum of the marginal gains, apparently that's how England got to the semifinals in the World Cup, marginal gains, The devil is an expert at the sum of marginal gains in a church. It's not that he picks on one marriage at a time. He goes for them all. And in the home, here's where the devil says to his mates at dinner time, these powers and authorities, let's persuade that family there, let's persuade the Sitzer family to have their dinner in front of the television and watch something that is mildly irreverent or just not wholesome. Let's get them so they don't bother because they're too tired and they fall asleep with their family Bible reading and prayer time. That'll be easy. It always works. Well, let's fire some flaming darts of strife between children and parents. Kids, you don't need to obey your parents. You're in the entitlement generation. And dads, come on, I'll help you provoke your children to anger. It's dead easy. And the devil is at work at work tempting us. The devil is at work in all other ways to break us, exhaust us, to encourage us, to discourage us rather. In the life of a living local church, spiritual warfare is real. And the realm of that warfare is much wider than we think. We think the realm of warfare is planting a church, and so it is. We think the realm of warfare is evangelism, and so it is. We think the realm of warfare is taking a stand for the gospel. The realm of warfare is Monday morning, Mums and dads, kids, families, marriages, unity, maturity. And the big message is be vigilant, be vigilant, be vigilant. We are at war with the devil and the spiritual forces of evil. He wants to take Chalmers and Redeemer down. He really does. He really does. He wants to hinder their spiritual growth. He wants to take me out and Sam out. He wants to take some of the elders out. He wants to disrupt the marriages in the church. He wants to break you at work. He does not want Chalmers and Redeemer to be alive to the gospel. He does not want us to shine like lights. Someone might say, this stuff is all a bit over the top. The devil is not real. Or if he is real, the minister at Chalmers is a bit paranoid. Scaremongering. Well, the Bible says the devil is real and warfare is real. That is good enough for me and it should be good enough for us as a church. The Bible describes the father, the devil, as the father of lies. So don't believe the lie that he's not real, for they are his lies. 
Or someone might say, that's not my experience of what it's like being part of a living local church, to which the answer might be, if it's for a season, thank God for that season when the sky is blue. My question back, have you ever experienced that in the local church that you are part of? And the answer must be yes, otherwise you are not part of a living local church according to the Bible. You see, the devil is not antagonistic to worldly churches. The devil is not antagonistic to soft or open or mushy evangelicalism. He is quite happy with them. Well, you might say, that's just not my experience, what you're saying of what it's like being part of Chalmers. What would I say to that? Well, I would say it's not my experience. Maybe as leaders, it's our role to take the flak, to shield you. I would gladly do that for you. And maybe we do. But I'd want to say to you, if this is not your experience in your life as a Christian, be vigilant, be very careful. For the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to defer. You do not see the lion if the lion is smart until it pounces. And the devil is smarter than any lion. Be vigilant yet, and we begin this tonight. Next Sunday night, we're on this ground. Be confident. How confident? Really confident. Super confident. Defiantly confident. Now, let me encourage you to wake up if you've fallen asleep. You've got to hear this bit. Imagine going home and only hearing the bit about vigilance and not confidence. Be confident, defiantly confident in the face of the devil and his legions. Look him in the eye with his flaming darts firing at you. Look the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. Look them all in the eye and boldly declare to them, you will not have your way. Not here. Not in this church. Not in the lives of this family. Not in my life. Now the Bible impresses on us humility before the Lord. It never impresses on us humility before the devil. It impresses on us vigilance before the devil. But not humility, along with vigilance, bold, arrogant defiance. Take him on and defeat him. You can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, Paul says. Not some of them, all of them. So is your minister losing the plot again? Has he been duped by some kind of power to conquer preaching? No. He has been reminded for his own soul's good of some wonderful things by reading God's Word. Two of them quickly. Number one, and this is the top of the podium, the devil has been defeated. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, the devil has been defeated. The devil fights on, but he is fighting a losing battle. He has been defeated. His fate is guaranteed. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us so. You cannot navigate any day as a Christian without the Bible as your guide. The reason John writes in his letter, the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. And what are the implications of the fact the devil has been defeated? 
Rightly, we are focusing on the corporate. Here's a personal implication. You can have complete assurance of your salvation. You battle with sin. You are assailed with the devil's darts of temptation, but your sin is forgiven. One of the devil's tactics is to rob Christians of assurance. Don't let him, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In the language of Romans, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. In the language of Ephesians, the devil can't, the rulers can't, the authorities can't, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil cannot separate you from the love of Christ. So be confident. And what about the corporate implications of the fact the devil has been defeated? What certainty can we have from studying Acts that through the church, living local churches across the world, the gospel will go to the end of the earth, that nothing can stop the planting, the revitalizing, the strengthening of churches. Jesus said, I will build my church, and hell will not prevail against it. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, and I will be with you always. The devil has been defeated. That is a wonderful thing, and it has enormous implications for us individually and as a church. And secondly, and this shares top spot on the podium, the awesome power of God at work in the church and in our lives. All through this series on Ephesians 4 to 6, I've been encouraging us to read chapters 1 to 3 to make sure that the imperatives, the exhortations in chapters 4 to 6 are grounded in the indicatives of chapters 1 to 3, the who we are as Christians and as a church, the power of God at work in us. Just flick back to chapter 1. As individuals, chapter 1, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, redemption, forgiveness, the riches of His grace, Chapter 1, verse 19, this is what Paul is praying for the Christians in Ephesus and us, that we might know, 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How powerful. Chapter 2, power to bring us from death to life. In the future, power to bring us from death to life physically. Power to reconcile us, chapter 2 and chapter 3. Power in the church. And then Paul's second prayer in the letter at the end of the first half, chapter 2, verses 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Supernatural power at work in our lives as Christians, at work in the church. Rog concluded the modest series this morning with certainty that God is God, people are not. Don't fear man, fear God, trust God. A good way to end Ephesians would be that God is God, not the devil. Be vigilant, but be confident. And so the applications you'll see there for next week, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, 
stand, withstand, stand. The devil will not break our unity as a church. He will not stop us growing to maturity. He will not stop us speaking the truth in love to one another. We will put off the old self and put on the new. He will not stop us. We will walk and live in love. We will walk and live as light. Our marriages will stand. Our families will withstand the devil's darts. At work we'll keep on standing. And that is not the power of positive thinking. It is the power of the living spirit of Jesus that dwells within us and that dwells within us together as a family of God. Be vigilant, yes, but be confident, yes. And next week we'll come back to spiritual warfare. What I'd like to leave us with tonight is a very simple application, and uh, it's really simple. Um, Talk to one another and pray for one another. And pray for the church family that we will be vigilant as to the reality of spiritual warfare and that we will be confident in the Lord in the battle. Talk together and pray together for that certainty to be clear in our minds. And then start talking and praying for you and others and for the church family for the outworking of this in our lives, for this battle with temptation, for that battle, for the unity of the church, for spiritual maturity, for the godliness of the church family, for the marriages, for people at work. Pray with confidence that the devil would not have his way. Pray for Redeemer. Pray that it will survive. And where the devil has had his way, and for those who have been deeply hurt by the wounds that he has inflicted, let me encourage you to love them very much. These people. Love them within this family. Jade made a good decision tonight. There is nowhere else on earth like a living church family of God's people. And there is nowhere else on earth that the devil wants to break up. But we need never fall down. We can stand. No, I've witted on too long. That's not unusual, is it? But this stuff is dead important. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we kind of witted on. I feel I've witted on tonight. Just too much stuff, too important, too heartfelt. But we pray that you would unclutter the clutter and help us to realize that spiritual warfare is altogether real. 
Lord, help us to go home and sort out stuff that's just been dogging us for years. Help us to, to conquer in the power of the indwelling spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would protect Redeemer from the devil. May it shine like a beacon of light. We pray that you would keep the marriages in this church family steady and strong. And our last thought tonight, Lord, is for those who have been grieved by the devil having got in. Lord, we'll love them very keenly. And you will love them even more. For Jesus' sake. Amen.